and love is all that I can give to you. Love is more than just a game for two. Two in love can make it. Take my heart and please don't break it. Love was made for me and Welcome to Love Savers Radio, ministering the blessings of covenant. This is Walter and Sandy Fox from Love Savers Ministry, called by God to minister the blessings of the marriage covenant by enriching, encouraging, strengthening, and praying for the healing of marriages, especially marriages in crisis. Our program is sponsored by Living Water Church, located at 69 Industrial Road in Wainscott, under the leadership of Pastor Joe Kelly and his lovely wife, Margaret Kelly. Sunday services are at 10 a.m. with a pre-service prayer meeting at 9.30 a.m. Pastor Joe invites you to come and be refreshed. For more information, please call 631-537-2120. That's 631-537-2120. Let's talk about marriage. This is Sandy Fox from Love Savers Ministry inviting you to call us today if you want prayer for your marriage. We pray for the healing of marriages, especially those in crisis. We have faith that God can heal marriages because God healed ours after seven years of divorce. Gary Chapman, the author of The Five Love Languages, said this about Love Savers Ministry. And let me encourage you in what you're doing because I think these kind of shows which deal with really nitty-gritty stuff in relationships Uh and really help the listeners. So we're here to help. Call us today at 631-604-6397. That's 631-604-6397. Or email us at lovesavers1 at aol.com. Our website is lovesaversministry.com. And remember, love never fails. Our guest author today is Bill Farrell. As a speaker, pastor, husband, and father, Bill Farrell knows all about man's inner drive to assert influence, build something meaningful, and leave a legacy. In his new book, Seven Simple Skills for Every Man, Bill begins by urging men to accept the reality of their passions, identify the passions unique to them, and challenges every man to discover their true passions. Sandy talks with Bill Farrell about his new book, Seven Simple Skills for Every Man. Let's listen. Hi, Bill. Hi, Sandy. How are you today? All right. Last time we talked, it was with your wife, Pam, also. Yes. And we discussed men are like waffles and women are like spaghetti, that wonderful book. Yes, and we did. we're so happy to discuss your new one and let all our listeners know about it, Seven Simple Skills for Every Man, where you yes. challenge men to discover their true passions. And could you start off by talking about the different roles men play in their lives that you talk about in the book, like redeemed Bill, responsible, and restless Bill, and how it can help men to define these different personas and the passions that correspond with them. Sure. Well, the, the whole discussion starts off with the fact that when God created men, he created us to be passionate. 
Yes. It's the reason why he created us with testosterone. It's the reason he gave us an aggressive focus in life. It's because he wants us to have a passionate approach to life. So he wants us to be passionate about him and passionate about our careers and passionate about our wives and our families and the causes that we care about. And that's that's the good news. The the bad news of being passionate is that it can get out of focus. Right. And it creates these pretty intense needs inside of men. Yeah. And and most of us men we're we're not really mature enough to handle all of the needs that rise up in our soul because of this passion that just runs inside of us. And so it, it creates this uh this really interesting dynamic in our life where where part of our approach to life is really responsible. And I try to illustrate in the book by talking about, like, there's a part of me that I call responsible. Right. And that guy loves to work. I, I, I love pursuits. I love goals. I love accomplishing things in life. And when I have my passions focused in that direction, I, I accomplish a lot, and, and I do a lot of good for a lot of people. And then there's this redeemed bill, which that's a that's a part of me that met Jesus and fell in love with Jesus. And, and and when redeemed bill is operating out front, I love the things of God. I love God's word. I love talking about salvation. I love talking about all the things that God cares about. And then there's this thing I call restless bill that I, I mean, I am passionate about my wife and I am passionate about my family, but there are times that I entertain a picture of my wife, Pam, that's not realistic. Uh-huh. Because between you and me, Sandy, what, what I would like, and I think every guy would like, is when I come home at night, I would love to have Pam go, Oh, Bill, you're home! Like, you are the most incredible man I've ever met. You're strong. You're articulate. I love being in your presence. And, and it is a highlight of my day that you're home. Right. Now, that happened a lot in the first year of marriage. Yes. <laughs> that is not realistic in the midst of a responsible life for her to do that every day. Right. But it doesn't change the fact that a part of my, a part of me wants it to be that way. And if I don't, if I don't have a way of keeping these passions in check and keeping them focused, then restless Bill will start to entertain kind of a fantasy view of my wife. Uh-huh. And I will picture in my mind that she actually is that way. I mean, even though it's not realistic, and it can be, it can be minor, you know, as much as just being mildly disappointed. Right. It's also the thing that leads. Not meant. Uh huh. But it's also the thing that leads men off into pornography and lustful behavior that's damaging to themselves and their families. Uh huh. How can being part of a small group help a man learn to focus his passions? Well, men know about being men. Like, right. like if, if I say to the guys in my small group, hey, hey, guys, I'm struggling with this, they all get it immediately because they're struggling with it too. Uh-huh. And so I don't have to spend a lot of time explaining to them what it's like. If I have that same conversation with my wife, she will often feel like she has to do something, that she has to change, that something's wrong with her, or something's not right in her relationship. And she will begin to overwork it because she loves me so much and she loves our relationship so much. And so when men try to handle the passions of their life on their own or with just their wife, they often get in a situation where they can't be honest about it. Uh But if if every man has a small group of men in their life who are just admitting, hey, guys, we're passionate. 
Right. We love life. We love we love things that are good for us. We love some things that are not good for us. Right. And together, we need to help one another keep this passion and focus. Right. So that it does the good it was intended to do. And with other men, you bring things out into the light, as you say, they understand. So you aren't keeping it in darkness where the devil can have a good time playing with it. So, That's exactly right. Right. But, but when, when men talk about the struggle they have with anger... Yeah. They, they get it. Yeah. Because they, they know that it comes from this passionate approach to life, and we can we can help monitor it in each other's lives. Uh-huh. But often that same discussion can be intimidating to women because they're hoping that that anger doesn't get expressed towards them. Right. And so it, it's it's very strategic. It's it's kind of like, like, like I like to view this passion men have. It's like, it's like a strong engine in a vehicle, like in a race car. Uh-huh. And anybody who drives a race car has a pit crew that helps keep the car in shape. Yeah. And I that's saw them at fault. the Indy 500. We used to go yes. every year and then say, <laughs> start your engines. That's right. 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 <laughs> yeah. And a men's small group is more like a pit crew at the Indy 500 yeah. than it is like a, a circle of people having coffee. Because what men are trying to do is harness the power that God put in them. Uh-huh. So that they stay on the track and they win the race rather than crashing and, and being a big spectacle because their car came apart. Yes. Well, we all know stories of men who didn't keep it in check right. and their lives are a big wreck. Yes. What does it mean to pray like a man? Why is it so important to know how to pray? Well, I think there's two reasons, Sandy. First of all, the Bible calls men to pray. So it's one of those things that as God works in our life, uh, we should expect that men are going to develop the ability to pray because it's something that God wants us to do. And second, men were put in their social circles and in their families to have influence over people in their life. And nothing is more influential to the heart than someone that prays for you. So if a man wants to maximize his influence in his family... He needs to learn how to effectively pray out loud and to pray for his family and pray over his family. But I find that a lot of men, they just lack confidence in this area. That so many men think, well, I don't pray like my pastor, so it's not good enough. Uh Or I'm not real good with words, and so I'd rather just be silent rather than pray out loud. There's so many devotionals that can really help you with prayer starters, right? Absolutely. Yeah. And, And... in, in one sense, it just takes practice. Yeah. But in another sense, we, we have to get our confidence level up. Yeah. So the, the two things that I've done in the book to help men is, first of all, men get very self-conscious about prayer. Because when they pray, they, they, they don't think they sound good enough. So what I encourage men to do on a regular basis is say, instead of trying to figure this out on your own, just take a few moments and say, God, you go first. And after you pray that, just assume that anything that comes to mind is something that God wants to talk to you about. And what I find what most men do is when they, when they stop and they're silent, they get a mixture of good thoughts and bad thoughts that hit them. And so what happens and um, what does it look like when you listen to God while praying and what if the thoughts that come into your mind are negative? Well... The negative thoughts, we have to assume those are things that God's bringing up with us. Uh-huh. And, and again, I, I liken this to being a dad myself. Like, if, if, if my boys were to come and talk to me, any one of them, I, I would love the opportunity to talk to them. 
And if they had a subject that they wanted to bring up to me and I knew there was something in their life that was holding them back, I would say to them, hey, hey before we get to the topic you want to bring up, can we talk about this attitude that you've been struggling with or this bad habit that you have or the way you treated this person is hindering you from being able to succeed. Can we talk about that first? And if it, if I can figure that out as a dad, God's way smarter than I am. And so I believe anytime we go to prayer, there are issues God wants to bring up with us because he knows they're holding us back. And so if we give him the opportunity, he, he puts the thoughts in our head. You're struggling with lust. You've been angry with your wife. Um, you're, you're thinking about cheating your boss at work. And we tend to see those as a spiritual assault, like we're afraid that Satan's trying to mess up our prayer life. Yeah. And so we never talk to God about those things. And when you allow those thoughts to be prayer requests, now you're putting God in charge of your prayer life. All right. And anytime God's in charge of something, it goes pretty well. And so what happens is men who will do this, they'll get flooded with thoughts, but as they turn those into prayer requests and, and talk to God about them, after a few minutes, everything goes quiet. And that's God saying to you, okay, now it's your turn. Anything you want to bring up, go ahead. And men who get in the habit of doing that, they, they develop pretty strong confidence in being able to pray uh -huh. because they're seeing success in their prayer life. Yes. You started a tradition. I loved reading about this in your book of praying a blessing over your children on Thanksgiving Day. Yes. And how did those prayers affect your sons? Well, let me just tell you a quick story because yeah. we, we, we did this last year um, with our family. And we had my oldest son was there with his wife. And my middle son, he and his wife had been married just over a year. Uh-huh. And this was her second Thanksgiving with us. So this is the second time that we said the blessing over her. And what she said to us is, you know what, it's weird when you do this, but not for a bad reason. It's weird because you're saying good things over me, and I'm not used to it. Oh. And what we saw with our boys growing up is they knew every year we were going to stand over them, and we were going to say the good things that we saw going on in their life. Mm-hmm. And we were going to pray for God's blessing on them for the year ahead. Uh-huh. And, and so, of course, as teenagers, they, you know, they kind of rebelled against it. But at the same time, they wanted us to do it. And the big impact they had in their life is that their confidence level was higher than their peers. Uh-huh. Because they knew that we believed in them, and we knew that God was investing in their life. Right. And I thought it was so nice. To, uh, I read that your son did the same right. thing, prayed over his <laughs> children, but then also wanted you and asked you to pray over him again, too. Yeah, it, it was one of those great moments where he, yes. he, he pulled me aside beforehand. He said, Dad, um, I'd, I'd like you to say the blessing over me, but can I do it over my kids this year? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and my heart just leaped. I was like, yes, we passed it on. Right, right. Yeah. Because there's nothing more powerful than kids who hear their parents proclaim the good things in their life over them. Yes. And who, who pray for God to work in their life. It's a great gift that we give to our kids. Right. Is it all right for Christians to make plans, even though only God knows what tomorrow will bring? <laughs> I, I would say it's, it's, it's even more than a better thing. It, it's actually something God calls us to do. Make plans, it, it sure does. Proverbs, 6, yeah, Proverbs 69 says... 
in his heart, a man plans his ways, but the Lord directs his steps. steps. Mm-hmm. And the way God made us is he made us as thinkers, and he made us as planners. Uh-huh. So there's nothing passive about being a human being. That God gave us creativity, and God gave us minds that work well, and God gave us ideas, and we're supposed to run with them. And it's a really good thing as long as we don't get proud about it. Because when we get proud, we say, God, you need to operate in my plan. That's going to be a contentious thing in your relationship with Jesus. But if we make plans saying, God, I'm going to make plans because I think I know what you want me to do, so I'm going to get active. And feel free to steer me at any time you want. So if you want me to go a different direction, you feel free to move me. But until you do that, I'm going to trust that what I'm thinking about and what I've come up with in my goals is a good thing. And when you have that kind of active participation in a relationship with God, you grow faster, you you become more mature, and you're easier to steer. Right. How is the theme of building a unifying force for men? What should a man do if he doesn't have the skills to build things with his hands? Well, the, the truth in the Bible is God made every man a builder. And we have narrowed the definition too much. We, we tend to think of building as, as only building buildings. Uh-huh. So if you're good with your hands, you get to build. And if you're not skilled with your hands, you don't get to build. But in reality, life is all about building because there are businesses that need to be built. There are systems that need to be built, whether it's systems of connecting people or it's technological systems. And there are ministries to be built. And then, of course, there are are buildings and infrastructures to be built. And every man was designed with the ability and the drive to build something. And so what we need to do with men is help them identify the areas that they are good at building and then just get after it. Like one of my best friends, he's really good at networking people. And he's as good as anybody I've ever met at getting... um, connections develop and groups of people together and when when he organizes people to come they come Um, but the guy should never work on his car because if he picks up a wrench he's going to break something on his vehicle (laughs) 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 and so we want that guy building systems of relationships and leaving the cars to other people why is it so important for men to realize that there are different mindsets for different ages well, the, the reality of life is uh, every year we get a little bit older. And the way God has developed life is that every decade of life, we have a different focus in our life. So a, a young man who's in his 20s is going to be idealistic. You get around somebody in their 20s and they think big and they say things like, God can do anything and God is incredible and God can work miracles and all we have to do is trust him and we can make this happen. And what God is doing in a man's life in his 20s is he's developing a baseline of faith. Because because we know without faith it's impossible to please God. Right. And so he wants men to develop the sense that God can do it, and regardless of the obstacles, it can be done. And we have a habit of telling 20-year-olds, oh, you're, you're being too idealistic, you're, you're just like, you're, you're being fascinating rather than realistic. And we need to be careful we don't do that. We want to encourage that idealistic building of faith in somebody in his 20s. And But we don't stay in our 20s. We move on to our 30s. And in our 30s, men are industrious. Like Our bodies are strong. We have figured out kind of what we're good at. We're in the midst of building our careers. We're building families. 
and God has given us lots of strength to work with in our 30s. So the 30s is a time for a, a young man to just get busy and to work hard and to bear his burden in his youth. And then we get to the 40s, and the 40s is a time of intensity. Because for most men, everything's going to start to change in his 40s. His body's going to start to change, and, and he's going to realize that he's not invincible. Which for every man, is it, it's a bad day when he realizes that he's actually immortal. <laughs> like we like yeah, to believe yeah. that we're kind of superhuman. Right. And, and that we can recover from anything, and we can work through anything with sheer power and strength. Youth does that for you. <laughs> yes. And then sometime in our 40s, we start to realize that physically it's not going to go on forever. That our bodies are going to get weaker than they used to be, and we're going to have to be more careful. And then on top of that, we have teenagers most likely, our parents are getting older, and we're starting to evaluate our life. Okay, since I have less energy to work with, where do I want to put that energy for the rest of my life? And what it's setting us up for is in our 50s and 60s, it is a time of influence for men. Yes. And when a man gets into his 50s and 60s, he starts to have real wisdom to share with other people. That all of his life experience and the, the hard times he's been through and the victories that he's experienced all develop a sense of wisdom in his life. That is so And now true. people want to know what he has to say. And a lot of men get scared by it oh. because they don't know if they want to be that responsible. Uh -huh. they, they don't know that they want people to really be watching them. They don't know that they really want people to rely on their advice. And so men who are ready for that time of influence, it's one of the greatest times of life. Men who are not ready for it often get scared and sabotage their lives. And we've all heard about the midlife crisis. Right. The primary Tell us reason about that. Right. Why is it different today than it was for men a hundred or even fifty years ago? And what can men do to make the transition smoother? Well, the that primary happen? reason why it's different is we're living longer. Uh huh. Like if you um, if you walk through a, a cemetery, say in Boston or, or some other part of the Northeast, and you look at the tombstones. You realize a lot of those guys were passing away in their mid-40s or early 50s. Right. And today, most of them expect to live up to be 80. Yeah. And so the fact that we're living longer has added a whole other dynamic to life. And a lot of men just aren't prepared for it. So the, the way that, that we can transition into it is, first of all, it starts with our mindset. We've got to start getting the message out that at the end of your 40s, you transition from being highly productive to being highly influential. The second thing we need to do is we, we need to start encouraging small groups of men who can say, hey, man, you can do this. Because a lot of men get afraid of it, and and rather than embracing the fact that I'm now going to be influential, they they often quit their jobs, they quit their families, they, they, they get involved in ridiculous activities so that nobody else depends on them because of the bad decisions that they've made. Uh -huh. And we need to band together and say, no, you can do this. And um, and then in our churches, we can encourage younger men to ask questions of older men. Because if an older man has to go seek out a younger man, sometimes it's really hard for him to do because he doesn't know if that younger man wants to hear what he has to say. Right. But if the younger man says, hey, could you tell me about what life was like when you were my age? Um, can, can you tell me what's helped your marriage work all these years? 
Yes. As soon as we know they want to hear, our confidence level goes up and we're willing to share. Yeah, like the Bible tells us that the older women should teach the younger women how to love their husbands. Right. You mentioned that one of the manliest things you can do is become a devoted lover. Can you explain that concept further? Well, the, the Bible is very clear that by this will all men know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Yes. And so one of our goals as men should be to become skilled lovers. And, and with our wives, that means learning how to meet the needs in our wife's life that we don't necessarily understand. So, for instance, most, most women, they gain great satisfaction out of verbal interaction. A conversation for them is one of life's great adventures. And as men, we don't tend to do that with each other. So learning how to, to, to view conversation as recreation. The, the point of this conversation isn't nearly as important as the fact that we're we're interacting. It's kind of like going for a walk. It just happens to be a verbal walk. And if men will learn how to do that, and if men will learn the power of compliments, like it's yes. been proven that every healthy marriage has five positive statements for every one negative. So if men just embrace that, say, I'm going to make sure I compliment my wife five times more than I ever criticize her that relationship will start to flourish. Right. And when it, comes to our, when it comes to our kids, if we become students of our kids, and we, we, we look, what is my child strong in? Where has God gifted my child? And what can I do to help enhance this giftedness in his or her life? Men who do that become extremely valuable in the life of their kids. And, and, and men bring things to to their kids' lives that only they can bring, just like mom brings things into life that only mom can bring. Yes. Like it's very interesting that a, a recent study has shown that men who, who, who like, kind of roughhouse with their kids, like, you know that thing yes. that us men do, that we walk into a room and, and suddenly the intensity level climbs. Yes. You know, the volume level goes up, the activity level goes up. Um, often when we put the kids to bed, rather than everything calming down, there's like circus music coming from the bedroom, and everybody's playing and jumping and having a great time. Well, it turns out that kids who have a man in their life who does that, later on in life, they self-regulate better. Uh-huh. So they regulate their emotions better, and they regulate their time better. And so if men start to say, oh, this is my role, this is what God's put me in these kids' life for, and they, and they pursue it as, as something to learn about, not just, not just hanging around hoping it goes well, but actually becoming students of your kids. We will be skilled lovers in their lives, and we will have a lifetime influence on them. Which is so good. What advice, I have to leave you now, but um, what advice could you give us as we leave you? Do you have for men who are ready to give up on their marriages? What would you say? Well, first of all, thanks for asking, because it's so common. And what I would say to men who are thinking about giving up on their marriage is that your marriage is one breakthrough away from being a great relationship. Amen. Because marriage is different than every other relationship on earth. Other relationships, they, they take time to deteriorate, they take time to rebuild. But marriage is a picture of the gospel. And just as somebody can be lost in one moment and found in another... They can be enemies of God, and, and through one act of, of belief, they can become friends 
and members of God's family. Marriage, it, marriage is a reflection of all that. So a couple can go from being in distress to being in love very quickly. And they can go from being at odds to, with one another to being partners with one another through one breakthrough of it that establishes trust between the two of them. And so as men, I would say, keep doing the things that have been proven to reach a woman's heart and trust God that the breakthrough moment will happen and your relationship will be transformed. My experience is that most men give up just a little too soon. Because right before the breakthrough happens, there tends to be a lot of turmoil. And we see that as trouble rather than, wow, this thing's about to break through to become the marriage I was hoping to have. Yes. Well, thank you so much, Bill, for another great book that will help us in our marriages. And please say hi to Pam. And I will just say goodbye and God bless for now. Thank you, Sandy. Keep it simple. Okay, Bill. Let's try the simple <laughs> skills. We'll get us there. Okay. Bye-bye. can love is all that I can to you, love is more than just a game for two. Two and love can't make it. Take my heart and please don't break it. Love was made for me and you. Love was made for me and you. Love was made for me and you.